Sure. Good morning. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm really excited about the text that we're going to be looking at this morning. So if you have your Bibles, open up to the fourth gospel, that's John. In order to get there, if you're a little unfamiliar with the layout of the Bible, open up halfway, that gets you to Psalms. Then go to that that second half, open that again, that'll get you to about Matthew. Flip over past Mark, Luke, you'll land in John, and we're going to be in John chapter 11. This is a beautiful chapter that if if you have a pickaxe and a little bit of time, you can mine some really great truths about Jesus and the love that He has for us and where He's willing to go. The question is going to be, as we look at this, is where do you really want Jesus to go? That's what we're going to be talking about is where do you want Jesus to go? And, and Jesus is very clear about this because throughout His ministry, Even after his death and his resurrection, we remember on the road to Emmaus that he's traveling with Cleopas and his friend. Even at that point, Jesus, while he wanted to go into the house, he wasn't going to force himself in there. He acts like he's going to keep on walking. And if they say, no, we want you to come in. And what I want us to see is Jesus is going to go where you invite him, but you have to be willing to to open up that invitation. Growing up as a a kid in in the youth group, one of the things I can remember is occasionally we would have colleges, uh, local colleges, ACU or OCU or Lubbock. One of them would come visit. They would have a a singing group. I couldn't sing, but I liked to hear them sing. They also had a drama group, which I love to watch the drama. And I'll never forget one of the dramas they, they put on One of the times it it stuck with me, it goes a little bit something like this. There was a a young boy who had decided to become a Christian and he was so excited. And yes, I'm I'm a Christian. This is so awesome. And, And now Jesus is by my side. And wherever I go, Jesus will go with me. And the young man, he comes home and he finds himself sitting in the room and he's talking to Jesus right there and says, I'm so glad that we're now close and that we're friends and, and we'll never be separated. Separated and, and he, he prayed and Jesus was there with him and he began reading scripture and Jesus was there with him and then he got a phone call while Jesus was right there with him and it was his friend who didn't know Jesus. And he says, hey, I, I want you to come, there's, there's a party that I want you to come to. Will, will you come? And he, yeah, You know, I got my friend Jesus with me, I don't... I don't I don't think he really wants to go to the party, and I know my parents don't want me to go. That's okay, just, you can sneak out. I, okay, maybe for a little bit. So he hangs up the phone, and then you see this young man, he, he lifts up the window, and he starts to go out, and he's, Jesus, what are you doing? No, you, you stay here, I'm going to go out, I'll be right back. No, Jesus, you're making too much noise. Listen, I'll be right back here. Read the Bible. There's some great quotes in there. You'll remember them. Just stay right there. Let me just... Okay, that's it. Listen. I want to be friends with you. This is great and all. But what you have to understand is, I'm going out here and you're not invited. 
And ultimately what we see from the skid is he grabs the hands of Jesus and slaps each side. And we have this vision of Jesus right here being nailed to the room while the boy decides he would go out and do what he wants to do. It's something that stuck with me for a long time. and, And many times I've wondered if I really want Jesus to be everywhere in my life. I mean, there's some places I want Him to be, but am I willing to invite Him? And even, I'll make this suggestion, would I lead Him into places that I want to go? John 11 talks about inviting and in some ways leading Jesus into our lives. And so I'm going to do this just kind of old style. I I think reading Scripture is so very important. I think the comments that I have are not near as important, but I want to take a moment to include those as well. So we're just going to start with John chapter 11, verse 1, and we're going to read through and we'll pause occasionally, but just keep your Bibles open there because we're going to be looking at the entirety of the lesson. I do want to give just a short little bit of background. What John is trying to remind us is, is that Jesus is the Messiah, Uh, And from the very beginning in John, we are going to have some confrontation with that. Uh, Chapters 1 through 6, as Jesus begins to reveal who He is, there's already some opposition. As we join 7 through 10, the opposition has gotten even greater. And now chapter 11 is going to be, in John's Gospel, the, the really the catalyst, the changing point. And there's, there's three things that are going to take place in John chapter 11, and I'm going to go ahead and give them away. Because I know you're just waiting to find out what takes place in John chapter 11. Three big things happen. The first thing is, Jesus is going to say that I am the resurrection and the life. Okay? That's the first point He's going to make. The second one, He's going to say that as Messiah... I am willing to die. And the third thing that's going to happen, we're going to see in John chapter 11, as a result of the miracle that's about to take place, is this will be a direct reason why the Jews say, we have got to kill Jesus. Now, we're going to look 47 through 50. We're not going to get there but you can, you can look at it later on. They're going to find out what has happened and they're going to say, this is enough. We've got to stop Jesus. He is ruining everything for us. So let's pick up in John chapter 11, verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. Okay, let's stop there for just a second. Lazarus uh, is short for Eleazar, and it means he whom the Lord healed. How amazing is that, that years ago before Jesus had ever been introduced to Lazarus, that he was given a name in which would signify who Lazarus is. From this point on, if you know anything about the Bible and you hear about Lazarus, you're going to say, oh, I know who Lazarus is. It's the one whom God raised. From his very beginning, his purpose was he would glorify God through such a difficult situation. He was from Bethany, uh, which means a uh, 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 city of the poor, the village of Mary and Martha, Mary and her sister Martha. Uh, real quickly, just to give you a little topographical information, 
Uh, there are at least two Bethanies that we know of. One of them is Bethany in Jordan, uh, which is on the east side of the Jordan. The other is Bethany, which is near Jerusalem. This is the one that's being referred to. I wouldn't bring that up except for the fact that both of these towns are going to come into play as we read this story. So we have two Bethanies here, one on the west side of the Jordan, which is by Jerusalem, the other on the east side. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. This has not taken place yet. This happens in John chapter 12. But John, who's writing this, has already witnessed it. And he knows that people already know about Mary. He's just making sure people know which Mary he's referring to. So here we have this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And I think we could stop right here. I, the more I studied this, the more I realized John chapter 11 could be like a 12-week sermon series. And so we can't. But I think what, what, what most preachers would say as they read this verse, they would say, that verse will preach. I want you to listen to this again. This is the message that the sisters sent, Mary and Martha. They said, the Lord, uh, Lord, the one you love is sick. What does that mean to you? What do you think is going on here? I think this is a really important message that I want us to let it sink in for just a moment. Why might Jesus come to the aid of Lazarus? Why might he do it? He was his good friend. What does the passage say? Because he loved him. Why do you think God would send his son? Why do you think God would offer salvation through his son? Why do you think that you have an opportunity to have eternal life with God? Because he loves us. It's real simple, isn't it? We sing about it as children. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. But this very simple statement can get convoluted and sometimes we forget that God did the things that He did because He loves us. But sometimes we confuse that a little bit and we say, God is going to allow salvation and I get to go to heaven because I've done good things. And we build a theology around if I do enough good things, God will forgive me or bless me or feel sorry for me and then I get to go to heaven. It doesn't work that way. Thank you, Louise. It doesn't work that way. Heaven is a gift from God because God loves us. Why would God want to offer healing through forgiveness for you? Because He loves you. It's not because you've done anything to deserve it. This verse speaks so powerfully about the fact that God loves us and that's why He would be willing to do the things that He would do. If you're looking at your watch, don't. Don't worry about this. We are going to get through as much as we can 
this morning. But I, I want us to make sure we don't miss out on any of this. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Okay, so, here's what happens. Lazarus becomes sick. So sick, in fact, that Mary and Martha are worried about it. Do they believe that Jesus can do something about it? They do believe. They believe so much that what do they do? They send a messenger. Okay, we have to remember that Jesus received this message through a human. Not a phone call, not an email, not a text message. In front of him was an individual sent by Mary and Martha to say, we just want you to know that, that Lord, the one you love is sick. Okay, is there any other statement made by the messenger that we know of? Did the messenger say, hurry up? Did he say, come on? Did he say, you need to heal him? The sisters knew that any action that Jesus would make would be compelled by the love that he had for Lazarus. But we can only assume that while the messenger is still standing there, that's why I pointed out it's not an email, as he's standing right there, Jesus makes this statement. The sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, we don't know chronologically how this happened, but we can assume that the messenger heard that message from Jesus. Lord, the one you love is sick. His sickness will not end in death. God will be glorified through it. So what does the messenger do? He goes back to Mary and Martha. What do you suppose the messenger is going to say to Mary and Martha when he gets there? Which is what? This sickness won't end in death. Alright. Things are looking up. Things are going good. So at least... Jesus is taking care of this. Maybe he doesn't even have to go there. The faith of the centurion is another example in which Jesus healed somebody in which he wasn't even near. And so maybe Mary and Martha and Lazarus displayed such great faith and they felt like that by Jesus saying your sickness is not going to end in death that they actually believed him. This sickness won't end in death. Jesus, as he does on so many times, he speaks very figuratively. They took it very literally. Jesus loved Martha and her sisters and Lazarus. Now I have verse 6 in the NIV says, Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. There is a word in there that should not be in there according to the Greek. It is implied in there. And I think it changes really the whole story. The first word that is implied in there and is inserted is the word yet. The Greek actually says this. Now tell me if you can tell a difference. I'm going to read how the NIV translates it and how the Greek says it. The, the NIV says this. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there two more days. Yet isn't included in the Greek. And so it says this. Okay, listen now. When he heard that Lazarus was sick, 
he stayed where he was two more days. That yet is a big word, isn't it? Because yet implies in the first sense that he wanted to go, but he knew that he shouldn't go. But you take out the yet, and we have somewhat of a confusing statement. When he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there. Well, that's a head-scratcher, isn't it? It kind of adds some intrigue to the verse. Let me ask you this. The previous verse says that Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. So, let's try to draw this out. Help me out with this. He loves Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He hears that Lazarus is sick. So what do you assume? That what? That he would go. You would assume that if he loved him, and he heard that Lazarus is sick, that he's going to say, let's go. Guys, pack your bags. We're going to Bethany. We're going to Judea. Which is going to be another issue altogether. And so, there's a little bit of a struggle here in interpreting this text and understanding. Now, if you're a human and you're looking at the very... Um, the belief that our health is everything and our physical wellness and our death means the end, then if Jesus loves Lazarus and what he gets now is all he's going to get, then what do you suppose Jesus should do? He should go. He should be there instantly. When he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Those seem to be conflicting statements except for one thing. Jesus came to show who his Father was and to give him full glory. We talked about this several weeks ago. We've been going through a book on Wednesday nights talking about the Red Sea rules and what you can learn from standing with the Red Sea in front of you, the cliffs on either side, and Pharaoh's army behind you. And one of the truths that we learn from the, the, the Red Sea is that, that where you are 